thought Kyle was gonna start now. Wait, don't I need to wait for the like twenty two second intro music? No, no, I cut that in separate. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get how these things work. I was waiting twenty two (laughs) seconds. I can add infinite silence between tracks for music. No, you just start. (laughs) Okay. Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my brother and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media we like, like a video game, a movie, or a book, or things of that nature. I'm Kyle Bloom. I'm Tim Bloom. And I'm Cozy Hanula. Yes. Uh, Welcome back. We're going to jump into our review for today. Last week on Hard Sell, I sold uh, my brother Tim on a game that I have played that is available through Steam uh, called Kindergarten 2. Which is a very delightful, cute, playful game where you get ruthlessly murdered over and over as you attempt to navigate your way through uh, the horrors that await you at this awful kindergarten. Uh, so Tim has spent the last couple weeks experiencing this game, and he has experiencing. Some, he has some thoughts for us. Um, what are what are your initial reactions uh, to this game, Tim? Um, well, thank you for selling me on Kindergarten 2. I mean, my initial reaction immediately when I pulled it up was that it reminded me of old school Flash games. Like, we RIP to Flash, which has now gone kaput. Probably those games are available somewhere else. But when I was in, like, elementary slash middle school, um, those were huge. Those, like, congregate slash awesomegames.com I think was one of them. Lots of these websites where you just play these free Flash games. Are, are you attempting to say Armor Games? Armor, yes. Yeah. Thank you. There was one other one that was like Amazing Games or something. Addicting? Like that. Yes, there you go. Well, how do you have all of these? This just... was my entire childhood. Yeah, okay. Uh, so this is what it reminded me of. Just like both the style of animation and the style of humor and the like gratuitous unnecessary violence um felt both somewhat nostalgic and somewhat mortifying um throughout the full game that was my that was my immediate reaction i was think like, that's a this, fair immediate reaction this is taking me back a little bit so yeah i mean i thought it was interesting you basically go through and you play your like you said uh, two weeks ago in the last episode, it's basically Groundhog Day, where you're going through the same day, and you have a set of different missions, very much like um, an untitled goose game or something like that, where you have little tasks to do, and when you start a path on a different task, it sort of sets events in motion um, that you can kind of go through these stories um, and you have a certain amount of actions you can do in certain areas. So you start the day like in the schoolyard, and then you go to your first class, and then you go to lunch, and then recess, and stuff like that. And you have a certain amount of time that you can spend in each of those. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it was really interesting. I think fundamentally, it's like a puzzle game, right? It's about mm-hmm. you have these different pieces that are resetting, 
Um, I don't typically love puzzle games. It's not how my like brain works. Um, like Untitled Goose Game was interesting to me, but I get frustrated really fast because I'm an impatient, whiny baby. Um, and the second that I feel like I don't know where to go, I have to immediately fight the urge to like look up a walkthrough or something like that. Um, but I didn't feel that so much with this game. I felt like the puzzles were constructed well enough that it wasn't that hard to figure out what you had to do. Sometimes like it was a little bit harder to figure out exactly where you had to go or who you had to talk to. But I didn't feel, I never felt totally lost. I never felt like I had no idea what the next step was. Well, and I, th- I think this game does a really good job of what a lot of those sort of cheeky flash style games do uh, with several different options where mm-hmm. um, it almost feels like an accomplishment to fail in all of the unique ways you can. Because uh, mm-hmm. e- even if you fail uh, a task and you have to go back, there's a bunch of different ways, truthfully, to die. And there's a bunch of different sort of uh, unofficial endings in that regard that that you're sort of seeing and experiencing. So you almost feel like you want to completionist style uh, die as many times as you can just to see what the, the game has to offer. Yeah, I think generally, with a couple exceptions, it also does a pretty good job of making dying not feel that punishing, being able to like restart... You can only ever do, like, at most five or six actions in a given room, and you can always restart from, like, the room you are in, so you almost never need to, like, start a whole day over. If you were constantly needing to go back that far, I would not have finished this game. I would have been like, no, this is way too punishing and stuff like that. It's really not. And oftentimes when you're dying, it does give you, like, little hints of, like, you didn't get back to this classroom fast enough. And so the professor blew your head off or whatever, the principal. Uh, So like get back to class faster next time. And there's like little hints like that, that make it, I was very rarely like making the same mistake over and over and over again. It was usually every time I died, I was usually like learning a thing again, as opposed to an untitled goose game where sometimes I kind of felt like I knew what I needed to do, but I just like wasn't, doing it fast enough or I wasn't quite putting the bow on the exact right spot of a statue and it just wasn't quite working as going on. This didn't really have that. So that was kind of nice. Um, I also think it's really smart about giving you tools that you need and then building on it. Like there's an example where in the, there's a part where you can get, there's like a, a dumb class basically and a smart class (laughs) And later on in the game, you have the ability to, like, go into the smart class, and you can get, like, items in the smart class that you can use in different ways. And then later in the game, there's something where it's like, oh, it would be great if we have one of these items. And I was like, oh, I can get that from the smart class. And I sort of realized that I had slowly internalized all of these different spaces, like, I'd internalized all of the different things you could do in the rooms And it made it flow way easier. Like, I think the first mission I did, or the first challenge, I guess, was hard. Was the hardest one. Because I didn't know anything about, like, who the characters were. I didn't know how the rooms worked. Uh, And once you figure that stuff out, it flows a lot easier. It's way easier to figure out what you should be doing. Right. And I, I I really personally like the system where... 
Um, as you go through different story threads, you can use items that you were able to obtain in the previous days to unlock those conversations. Um, even though the days stay the same, all of the things that the teachers do and the students do all stay pretty constant uh, based on the environment you're in. You can unlock different uh, paths to go through in the story just because in the previous Groundhog Day, um, even though you're repeating the same day because you completed the previous objective, now you have... I don't even remember what all the things were, but now you have this sort of badge or the family seal, I think was one of them or something like that, that you can go through with. Yeah, I think the construction's interesting, but that is the thing that made me most frustrated in the entire game. I had a one run through where I got like halfway through one of the like challenges kind of. And again, I I should back up a little bit. I thought it was super interesting that like, as you start a challenge, there's like a thing you need to do to like kick it off. You talk to this person and bring them this item and it starts you down this path. Um, And once you start down that mission path, basically the game changes, like all of the interactions are different or most of them are enough stays familiar. So you can, Like I said before, you have an idea of like where you can go and sort of what characters will be there and vibes and stuff like that. But it changes a lot when you move into those mission paths. It's really like different games. Um, And so that feels really cool. However, like you said, Kyle, I think when you have those items that you need to bring at a certain day, I had one particular mission without spoiling anything. It's the mission where you maybe learn that one of your classmates isn't entirely human and (laughs) there's some stuff you need to do. Um, And early on in the, in the, like the first mission, the reward, I feel fine saying this because the very, very first one, the reward you get is like a tool belt. And I went into that mission and I got probably halfway through, like most of the way through that day until I realized there was no way for me to progress unless I had brought the tool belt in the first place uh, when I had not. Like, I, you didn't need it early on in that mission, but you need it later. And I was like, oh, now I have to fully restart from the beginning and grab the tool belt to use it once in this moment. And from that point on, I just looked up what items I needed at the beginning for the missions. I was like, I am not wasting another hour and a half going down this mission path to then realize I needed a different thing the whole time. Um, just to be clear, did you know there is a, a built-in in-game function that tells you which items you need? Nope. Uh, if there's a story map that that as you go through each of the different stories you can, gives you a silhouette of the the one, two, or three items you need to complete that objective. Wow, that would so have been you're not so helpful for the game to have flagged to me at any point. Yeah, it's not uh, intuitive. I did find it by accident when I was playing because it's just part of the sort of settings menu, but it is there in the game. Yeah. So overall, I thought the construction was really interesting. Um, Again, it's not the type of game that I usually play or like really like to play, but I thought it was built really well. Um, Let's talk about the dialogue. The dialogue was bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's part of the charm. I don't. I think there were a couple jokes that were funny. Uh, There were some, like, meta jokes about, like, what you can do. There's a point where, like, um, 
there are a few like little meta jokes that I can't really say without spoiling things. There's a moment where there's a dead faculty member in a bathroom and a different teacher steps out of the stall and like looks at you and looks at the body and then looks back at you and says, nope, 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 nope. And just backs into the stall and closes the door. That was sort of funny. Um, there's a moment where a character says to you, the real treasure is the friends we buried along the way, <laughs> which was funny to me. Um, so there are like some funny one-liners, but like the the general like internet, it has a very like, like I said, like old school flash game sort of like shock dialogue vibe that did not work for me. Yeah, I mean, I it's hard to argue with that. I think <laughs> that style of of dialogue is something I enjoy just because I'm I I don't know, I can take myself out of it and just stop taking it seriously. Um Yeah. None of this game is supposed to be taken seriously. I I think I don't know. I I thought it was funny. It's fine if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, again, like, I think some of the jokes were funny, but, like, the dialogue, it would just, when it's always dialed, when it's, like, it's absurd, right? Like, it's playing in absurdity, it, obviously. But when it's always absurd, like, 100% of the time, by the end, I was basically just, like, desensitized to it. So when, like, a character pulls out like a laser gun and like shoots another character. I'm sort of just like space barring through it, trying to get to the next part of the puzzle. It's not like it's, if everything is shocking, nothing is shocking anymore. And like, if every character, you know, the joke that like, they're supposed to be kindergartners doing all this crazy nonsense is funny in the beginning, but again, once I'm like six hours in and just like trying to figure out these puzzles, and again, you have to do it like perfectly. You have to use every action exactly how you're supposed to use it. That like by the end, I was so focused on completing the game that like the not again, like nothing was shocking to me anymore. Once you see some of the stuff that happens early in the game that is so absurd. Um, it's hard for anything else to like continue being absurd. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. That's a fair assessment of that. Yeah, and again, like the the violence, obviously it uses like violence, like again, laser guns and like uh limb anything you removal and stuff like that as shock pieces and stuff like that, and it's very, you know eleven <laughs> year old me would have loved it. Um, 27-year-old me is less into it. Sure. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I might have missed this, but is there a good in-game reason why it's a Groundhog's Day? Nope. Um, yeah, that was that was actually a question I had for you. Is <laughs> like, there is w at least one of the characters at one point, like, meta-commentates around, like, why is there already, like, blood on this thing? Like, it did, you know, there's a thing that could have happened if you went a different path that would have resulted in something in an item being used to do violence. And if you don't go on that path, there's still blood on that thing. And people like don't, um, or a good example is like Kyle said, there was a, it's set up. So like, if you complete a mission path, you get an item that you have permanently and can bring on like future runs. And one of the items the character like has in their possession and if you bring it on future runs, they will say, like, where did I put this thing? Like, how did I? 
So like they don't remember giving it to you, but there's still only one in universe. So I have no idea how like the mechanics of this world work at all. I think the the answer to that is uh, just stop thinking about it. I yes. like there's 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 no deeper meaning. There's no explanation. The the one thing you would have missed from the first kindergarten that is supposed to be sort of the running joke is that um, this kindergarten day takes place on a Tuesday that's repeating itself. The first one was on your first day of kindergarten, which is a Monday. Uh, yeah. They're, they're supposed to just be... It's it's just the way that they framed the game and the way they framed the sequel. Yeah. I got that. I also definitely got that I was probably missing pieces of the story. It felt like there were definitely characters who returned, um, especially later in the game, who, again, I won't talk about in huge detail because it's kind of a spoiler, but, like, there are characters who you meet later who are critical to, like runs seven eight and nine who i got you can correct me if i'm wrong have you played have you played kindergarten one i have not played it i've seen a playthrough okay my assumption is they're critical characters to kindergarten one who i should have remembered uh who i did not know and truthfully it did not harm my playing experience because the story is mostly incomprehensible so I was mostly focused on the puzzles, so it didn't really bother me. Um, but I think, I mean, ultimately, if you're in this game for the story, you should probably be playing a different game. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's that's totally fair. There's, uh, I mean, yeah, there's callbacks. There's a lot of returning characters. That's it's the it's the same school. There's a lot of the same um, designs. Uh, but at the end of the day, it does not matter. There's no, that's not like something that happened in the first one you need to have remembered to appreciate the second one. Um, so yeah, well, thank you for giving uh, me your thoughts on <laughs> Kindergarten 2. Um, I should say it was by, oh my gosh, uh, it was by Smash Games. Um, by Smash Games. Yeah, uh, Smash Games, and I think it was published by Con Man Games. Yes, thank you. Um, all right, so then my final question for you, Tim, is are you sold on this or would you pass? Um, I think ultimately, so again, I think it's so similar to Untitled Goose Game um, in terms of its construction. Again, the play style is a little bit different. Um, Untitled Goose Game, again, like I mentioned before, not a game I really like playing into it. It was fun. It was cute to be a goose. It's very fun to like steal somebody's hat and run around, but like puzzle games like this just don't really work for me. I did think the puzzles were built in a way that was more fun for me and less frustrating in this game than Untitled Goose Game. Um, but ultimately, I think it was entirely devoid of the charm that I liked from Untitled Goose Game. That was a world I wanted to spend time in, and this was a world that like, I feel like I would have if I was... 14 and on lsd or something like that it could not <laughs> possibly function um so ultimately i think like my my feeling on it my final feeling on it was it's basically like untitled goose game with a style of puzzles that work better for me completely uh like i said devoid of any of the charm of untitled goose game and so i think for that reason i will pass on kindergarten too ah shucks <laughs> That's okay. It was fun. It was, again, a fun... A lot of these puzzle games I cannot finish and bounce off of totally, um, but I did play through Kindergarten 2, and I only looked up guides to figure out those items, which apparently I could have figured out from in-game anyway, 
So I completed it. So that brings it beyond most puzzle games I play, but not one that I will add to my like Rolodex of favorite games. All right. Fair enough. Thank you for uh, trying it out. Of course. Okay. And now our final segment, which is the hard sell for this week. I will be pitching to Kyle. Um, and as a part of my pitch, I'm going to sort of make you do my pitch for me. Wow. Um, let's talk about TV shows. I think you and I like fairly different types of TV shows generally. There are some that we both like, but tell me about the types of TV shows you mostly watch. Um, I, I mostly watch TV shows in two, two like very distinct genres. Uh, I watch, um, live action comedies like sitcoms i really enjoy Mm -hmm. um i've some of my favorite shows that i've watched and rewatched over and over again have been things like scrubs and how i met your mother and Mm -hmm. i've watched friends a few times and just just your classics that you you know your feel goods uh but when it's when it's not rooted in comedy um when it's trying to tell a serious story i immediately uh am turned off by the idea of uh, live action and immediately switch over to anime. I uh, enjoy anime telling serious stories for a couple reasons. Uh, one being that I think animation uh, in general is can just do a lot of things better and look better and more natural in the story than anything that is live action, um, especially because I do in serious shows. Uh, because it's what I grew up on, do enjoy, like, a lot of combat and flashy things, uh, because it gives me serotonin. Um, <laughs> you and I'm all the toddlers, I'm so. just describing why I'm a baby, yeah. Um, yeah. This is why you pitched kindergarten, too. Yeah, oh, I've been discovered. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just really uh, enjoy that stuff, and there's a lot more you have the liberty of doing and making look real uh within the medium of animation rather than uh live action shows um and and then secondly i think it just explores the kinds of plots that i enjoy i often enjoy dark media and like dark anime and with like different uh like sometimes historically relevant like messages about uh society but put forth in such a weird way that that is both relatable and wildly not relatable at the same time i just it, it's stuff that i like to think about and theorize about and yeah i feel like i can't do that as much like bbc's sherlock for example is a show that i really enjoyed but mm-hmm. like once you know once i watched it there was nothing more to talk about i like ingested the media and i i i saw it and it was very good and then i was done okay this is perfect because the next step of my pitch was to okay so as a um comparison i mostly like dramatic live action shows i like the like breaking bads game of thrones stuff like that are my favorite types of shows however there are two live action shows that i know you have seen that i know you have enjoyed watching um and the television program that i'm going to pitch you today is related to both of them including very similar to one of them so the first is sherlock here's the part of you doing the pitch for me tell me what you like about bbc sherlock 
Um, and tell the listeners the two sentence description of what it is. It's the story of Sherlock Holmes. Um, in a way that each episode, there's like three episodes per season, I think. Yeah, uh, and each episode is a full like hour and a half long. So it's it's like a series of. Um, I believe like 12 movies basically just about the progression of this character. Um, I like, I don't know. I like, for lack of a better term, intellectual warfare. Uh, <laughs> like I, I like the whole idea. You make it sound so dramatic. I, I know. Um, I prefer, um, Heartbreak Warfare, the song, but oh okay. My oh, Lord, yikes. That was um, a reference. Um, <laughs> yeah, to a John Mayer album that <laughs> no one has listened to. Uh, well, I'm so thrown off. Um, <laughs> no, I I like the idea that there is uh all of the drama is is basically waged within like people's minds. It's literally about who can outthink the other person and all of the nuances that come with that. I really enjoy. I also think they just did it well, like. Yeah, Bergabunch Cumberbatch is a great fit for that. Role. I like Benedict Cumberbatch um a lot better when he doesn't play Americans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I I think he was very in his element here. I think this is one of the best portrayals I have seen. Um, please don't come at me because I don't actually know any in real life, so I'm fully just guessing. But I was uh, going to say, have you seen any other portrayals of Sherlock other than the Robert Downey Jr.? No, person? I was going to say best portrayals of a sociopath. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Okay. Because uh, I think that is just an interesting character. The, like, the, like, super hyper-intelligent character um, mm -hmm. solving everything is a thing I've always been interested in, but has always fallen flat for me because... I, I don't necessarily like the there is one hero and they do everything automatically the end because they're overpowered. Uh, but this show didn't feel like that because he is, but the show itself, without spoiling much, is a lot about sort of his redemption into finding some humanity and like other people in the story being very important parts as to why he wins when he does, even yeah. though the intellectual piece is his. So I liked the fact that it, it brought people in not just as the side characters to him but but the important parts that he couldn't access mm -hmm. and also the 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 villains are very good sure. the, the acting i is very good i appreciate it yes i would argue that the um that moriarty in that show is the best part of sherlock moriarty in that show is the best part of most tv shows i've seen great okay so that's sherlock the second live action show that i know that we both enjoy is not nearly as dramatic, uh, but is Psych, which ran on USA Today. Um, USA Network. You, is it, you're right. Not USA Today. That would be <laughs> bizarre. Um, the USA Network. Uh, we used to watch that show a lot in high school. Yes, we did. Tell me about Psych. Uh, well, the short pitch is that it is... Uh it's a it's your classic detective show except this this uh boy has been trained by his father from a very early age to like be super observational and just like see things and put pieces of a puzzle together um much faster than everyone else and at a much more like finite rate um so your classic sort of genius except he's also fully an idiot in every other respect <laughs> yeah and, psych is basically a comedy uh, it's much more of a comedy than 
Yes, Sherlock, and I, I think thought. I like it so much because it marries uh, Sherlock to all of the other shows I said I like. It is basically a sitcom meets a detective show. Like, it's got that mm-hmm. intellectual warfare piece. I'm going to keep saying it because I think it sounds cool. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's it's also just not... It's him putting things together, oftentimes by accident, and, like, by by rushing way too fast into things. And it is mostly just just funny. So I I think it's enjoyable. And the conceit of Psych is that he poses as a psychic, and then that's why it's called Psych. Yeah, that he that he right. pretends to be a psychic. Um and there's a sort of like pull throughout the show of like, will they find out he's actually not a psychic the whole right. time? Okay. So here's the show I'm going to pitch you. It features a brilliant um observationalist former psychic who helps a group of cops in California attempt to solve seemingly unsolvable or very difficult cases. Uh, Sound familiar? Yeah. It sounds like uh, a lot like both of the shows we just talked about. It does. It's a show called The Mentalist, which came out uh, in 2008 on CBS Created by Bruno Heller, who is also its executive producer. Um, it is basically that. The conceit sounds almost identical to Psych. It's a show about a former psychic named Patrick Jane, played by Simon Baker, who's a consultant to the California Bureau of Investigation, like the California FBI. Um, and he used to be a psychic and uses his psychic skills to help solve crime. Um it is so here's a question before i go further the first episode the pilot episode lays out like his background and why he's doing this and stuff like that how much of the premise of the show how much of that first episode do you want me to spoil versus how much do you want me to keep it not spoiled um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd probably rather experience it than, than have you talk to me about it, especially if it's in the first episode. It's going to definitely okay. be something I run into. So I, I will detail the only the very basics. So he is a former psychic. The difference here, I will call out the differences between this and psych. He is open about not actually being a psychic. People know him as having used to be like a famous television psychic. Uh, and he quit five years prior um, and now helps this investigative team solve cases and do things like that. The first episode, we'll talk about why he quit and sort of his backstory and his drives and stuff like that. It is, I think, like the perfect marriage between Psych and Sherlock. It's a crime procedural. It's like an it was created specifically because Bruno Heller, the showrunner, wanted to create a like NCIS but better style show um and it is so it's like a procedural ass procedural that has a different case each week and stuff like that um just like psych however it combines these sort of like so psych has the yin yang killer who is this like serial killer that generally like shows up in season finales of psych for a couple seasons. There are, I think like season three, four and five. Yeah. Like three or four episodes where it matters. Mm-hmm. Sherlock, the series, there are 12 episodes and Moriarty is a central force in almost all of them. Um, this is sort of in between those. 
where there is a villain. Um, there is like a single um, serial killer who Patrick Jane is trying to catch, um, but is not brought up in every episode. It's not. It's a constant running undercurrent to the show. And when you're watching episodes, Cozy and I have been watching this. Cozy and I have just finished season two. You never really know if he's going to come up in an episode or not. Most of the episodes, I will say most of the episodes are just detective stories, just psych style. They come upon a case at the beginning of the episode and it will be solved by the end of the episode and that's it. And sometimes this guy who is just sort of quietly lording over everything will be a factor in some way or will matter. And you never really know until you are halfway through the episode. And it's it's truly amazing. It's, again, between Sherlock and Psych in terms of, like, seriousness. It gets very dark and very serious. It's much more of a drama than Psych is. Again, in terms of tone, I would compare it closer to something like NCIS or, like, CSI or something like that than Psych. But I think it's great. And I think that you will like it if you watch it. That's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> wow. Uh, I have... Okay, I have a couple questions. Sure. Is... Uh, you answered this a little bit. Is there any sort of, sort of like side undertone where it attempts to be comedic? I know a lot of these kinds of shows have that sort of in the background. Yeah, it's little stuff. So like the... It comes from two places. They're like comedy points come from two places. One is Jane, Patrick Jane. Um, he's an asshole. He's like just an asshole. Um, again, somewhere between Sean from uh, Psych and Sherlock Holmes from Sherlock. But fundamentally, like doesn't, you know, he's a psychic or he used to be a psychic. So he's good at cold reading and stuff like that. And one of his go-to moves is to say something like really blatant or really shocking to someone and then like stare at them really intensely to see how they react. Um, so there's some comedy from that. And then from his team, that's the other departure from psych, right? And Sherlock to a certain extent, like the people that are working around him are always kind of like, especially psych are always sort of skeptical of him. Like don't want to deal with him. There's a big, um, relationship between him and a cop and Carlton Lasseter, who like does not believe he's a psychic and does not want to work with him. Jane's team like believe in him and like go to bat for him, and they're very collaborative with him. But they also often are like the comic relief roles. There's an agent named Agent Cho who's like the most deadpan character I've ever seen in my entire life and is very funny each episode because he's just totally like plays as the straight man. Yes, there are like humorous moments, but it's not a comedy. Again, if you've seen like an NCIS, there's like uh early in the episodes, they like make fun of one of the younger agents for like five minutes and then they have served their comedy quota and then it's a serious show until the last five minutes at which point a character makes a couple of jokes. It's closer to that than it is like a comedy. Gotcha. Um, I will say I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm curious about the, the sort of line this main character draws in this kind of show between like investigative superhuman and just normal guy. That's a little bit smarter than everyone else in this arena. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because I think both can be interesting. Um, like like you said, I've I very much enjoy Psych and I very much enjoy Sherlock. Um, the sort of marriage between the two shows, I will say, is my main uh, point of being nervous about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I like those two shows independently because they're so far in the direction that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherlock is mostly very serious. Um, and Psych is mostly comedic. And they both have moments or sometimes even episodes that are just entirely in the other direction. But the the tone is generally one way or the other. And... Um, I have attempted to watch and been recommended a lot of detective shows mm-hmm. that that revolve around I guess usually more a team than one person but there's always yeah. one there's always one skinny white guy that's supposed to be a genius uh <laughs> literally every time every um, show has one and he's always it's always the same he's always like socially awkward and people don't really get him but he always figures it out and mm-hmm. uh I get nervous because I've tried a lot of those shows and I haven't really liked them before because it's felt like they haven't had, I'm curious about the sort of looming central threat because one of my main critiques of these shows, it feels like there's not usually, sometimes there's recurring villains, but there's not ever really like a direction or like a central other than just episode by episode. Like this is what these people's jobs would be like. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, but I, I think that's a point in its favor for interest for me, but like I said, I've tried shows like Bones and like mm-hmm. Criminal Minds, like NCIS yeah. that sort of revolve around this team again with mm-hmm. a skinny white guy that's really smart, uh, that some episodes can be interesting, but overall yeah. I li- I'm like really uninterested in the story as a whole um, mm-hmm. because nothing really stands out. They, they do the weird, uh, I'm going to get hate for them. They do the weird thing that Marvel does where they're like, now we're a comedy. Now we're serious. Now we're a comedy. Yeah. I'm like, pick a lane. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm nervous to see how closely it lines up to that. Cause I have actually had the mentalist. Um, I, I didn't know anything about it before your pitch, but I haven't had it just the title, the mentalist recommended yeah. to me by more than one people be- person before. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never got around to, uh, trying it. Um, so I am curious to see where it lines up in this weird spectrum. I've gone in my head. Yeah. I think I also have tried to watch those shows and bounced off of them. And here is what I think makes The Mentalist different. And I think it is the performance of Simon Baker and the writing of his character, Patrick Jane. Like, Patrick Jane, this is the thing, right? That, like, skinny white guy who, like, shows up and ruffles feathers and stuff like that. It just isn't, it often doesn't feel believable. Because it's like, why is anybody giving this guy the time of day? And or why are like the way people react to those characters often don't feel quite real. It's like either they're always right. So like, why are you not always listening to them or they're such unrepentant assholes? Why have they not been fired yet? And the thing that Simon Baker manages to do with Patrick Jane is he, he threads that needle. Like you get the impression watching the show that he is deeply cynical about like humanity and people and how they work, but he's also incredibly charming. Like that's the thing, right? He's a former psychic. He's a con man. So like he is 
so good at like worming his way into things and being believable. Like he's so likable, but also sort of sad and unhinged at different points. Like I think the whole show revolves. It's not a, it's not an ensemble cast. Like his team is important. Um, Robin Tunney does a really good job playing Teresa Lisbon. Who's like his boss in charge of his unit that he is a consultant for, at the California Bureau Bureau of Investigation and like his coworkers are good, but it revolves around his performance and his ability to make it believable and feel so like upbeat and happy and personable. And you can see why people like him and also like deeply sad and like deeply troubled um, in a way that's really magnetic. And I think really a lot easier to latch on to. I think the other thing that I sometimes chafe against with detective shows is the sort of copaganda piece of it. Oh, yeah. Of, like, they often tend to portray – I think CSI is maybe the worst at this – of, like, the police as this, like, magnificent, infallible wall against darkness and, like, chaos and things like that. And it reinforces this belief of the police as things they are not in the real world. And, like, this is a detective show working with the CBI, who are cops. Uh, And so it is not infallible in that regard. Like, I don't think there's any way to make a detective show that doesn't come across as pro-police to a certain extent. And so that part's a little uncomfortable. But I think compared to most of the other ones, it is not – like, it goes in with its eyes open. Without spoiling anything, the point of the show is not, like – the CBI's quest to solve crime. It's about Patrick Jane and like his personal stuff. And he uses his job at the CBI to try to accomplish his goals. And like they come into conflict with cops who are portrayed as lazy or corrupt or incompetent. And like, I think it's a little bit more sober about that. And I'm not like, I tried to watch criminal minds and I was just sort of like, there is no, interrogation in this about how you know about police and their role and right that whether this is good or not entirely about the detective team yeah and this is a little bit it doesn't feel so again like copaganda which also helped me get into it awesome well i'm i'm very uh curious i would say i you've you've piqued my interest well yeah We'll see what I end up thinking of it. So, The Mentalist runs for seven seasons. Um, I'm not going to ask you to watch seven seasons of The Mentalist. Um, I have pulled out six episodes from the first season that I would like you to watch before we record next week. Sounds like a plan to me. Uh, The first three episodes are the first three episodes of the series. There's the pilot, which is episode one which is like an introduction to the character and to Jane, and it gives you his backstory in broad strokes in that pilot episode. And then the next two episodes are Red Hair and Silver Tape, and then Red Tide are episodes two and three. They are pretty straightforward, um, like, serial episodes. Got it. You know. Like monster of the week style crime procedural episodes to give you a feel for the team and give you a feel for the dynamics and things like that. The next two episodes 
are episode nine, which is called Flame Red, which is again like a procedural episode. It doesn't tie into bigger stuff super broadly, um, but it it introduces some themes that will become undercurrents of the show that I want to talk about when we record in two weeks. And then the final two episodes are episode 11, which is called Red John's Friends, and then episode 23, which is called Red John's Footsteps, and is the season one finale. That I think, based on context clues, you can probably guess why I want you to watch those. Gotcha. So, I won't tell you anymore. I think, especially once you watch the pilot, that will illuminate a lot of the backstory stuff. We'll have a good conversation next week, but that is my that is my hard sell. Awesome. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to jump into it. We'll see. We'll see what I think. Great. Uh, can you just clarify where it's available if other people who are listening want to watch? Yes, if anyone wants to watch along and watch episodes 1, 2, 3, 9, 11, and 23 before, <laughs> uh, before we record next. Come on this adventure with me. Yes, it, you can purchase the episodes separately or on Amazon Prime Video, or if you have an Amazon Prime membership, it's free to watch them on Amazon Prime Video. Awesome. Cool. All right, thanks everyone for listening to our first official full episode of Hard Sell. Um, if you want to catch us again, we're available at Hard Sell on every podcast player of choice, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Twitter at, at Hard Sell Show, and you can send us an email at hardsellshow at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll catch you on the flippity flop. <laughs> Good? No? All right, we'll keep workshopping that. Uh, we'll see you again next you on the uh, two weeks flop. from today. On the flippity flop. Okay, remind me again how I stopped this recording without deleting it. You just hit the little stop button. <laughs> Okay.